Well, good morning. Um, not many of you here, some of the singers and Paul and some of the folks in the booth back there here. And so we're glad that they are they're here today. At least I'm not just preaching to a completely empty church, but, but I know that our church is not the building. Our church is the people. And I know that many of you are gathered together online with us this morning. And so we're we're thankful for that. I will miss some of you guys' amens this morning as we go through this, but um, we, will, we will do that. Now, we are in John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 8 is where we are at this morning. We're going to begin in verse 12, and we're really answering the question this morning, whose truth will truly set us free? Whose truth will truly set us free? Now, I'm going to read just a, a few selections. Uh, chapter 8 is quite lengthy, but I do want to read some of the text this morning just to kind of orient us to what we are doing here and what we're looking at. So I'm going to be in verse 12. I'm going to skip around just a little bit, but these will reflect some of the, the text that I'm going to be preaching on this morning. So beginning in, in John 8, verse 12, he says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from, came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. And if we skip over to verse 21. And so he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then down in verse 28. And so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that, I, that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity to gather, uh, to hear your word. To, to learn from it, God. To learn that, that your truth is the truth that truly sets us free, God. And as we work through this text this morning, help us to understand what that really means. Help us to understand what we are being set free from and why we need this freedom. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, we live in a postmodern society, and some would even argue that we live in a, in a past postmodern society. But, but setting that argument aside for a moment, we, we know that the outworking of postmodernism is, is the idea that, that all truth is relative. And you talk to people and they say things like, you know, that, that's your truth, and I'm glad that you have found your truth, and, and I, have, I have my truth, and, and my truth sets me free. You know, and the astonishing thing is that it is perfectly normal in this day and age for people to say that your truth and my truth can be contradictory, and that is absolutely okay for that to be the case. That is until my truth imposes upon your truth, and what is supposed to be okay is all of a sudden not okay. One of my former pastors, he served as a jail chaplain for several years, and and he would talk to, to guys in the jail who, who would try to operate underneath this idea that, that you know, this idea of relativism. And, and I'll never forget the tactic that he would use when he was talking to these people when they started going down this, you know, your truth and, and my truth type pathway. And, and he would say, okay, if that's the case, then my truth tells me that I can walk into your cell and I can, I can take your radio from you. And since I'm much bigger than you, he's a fairly large man, not, not a fat guy, but, but, but a guy who is very muscular, uh, some guy that, you know, could definitely take these, these guys. And he'd say, since I, I am bigger than you, you won't be able to do anything about it at all. Now, uh, of course, the guys would always respond by saying, you know, that, that's not fair. I mean, chaplain, you, you, you would take my radio from me? That, that is absolutely not fair. And he would say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, guys. Wait, wait a minute. Weren't we just talking about your truth and, and my truth? I mean, my truth tells me that in, in my world, it is okay for the stronger to take from the weaker. And, and seeing that I am the stronger, I'm going to go into your cell and I'm going to take your radio and you're not going to be able to do anything about it at all. And of course, right then the point was made. I mean, truth cannot be relative. There is no such thing as, as my truth and, and your truth. There is only one truth. Only one truth can actually set us free. And if that's the case, then the question that we need to ask is, is whose truth will truly set us free? And then to, to follow that up, what do we need to be set free from? Because that's something that we need to desperately understand. So whose truth will truly set us free? What do we need to be set free from? We're going to answer those questions this morning. So look at verse 12 with me. We're just going to look at the very beginning of the verse. That first phrase, he says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, we're going to stop there for now because we need to understand the context. Jesus is still at the Feast of Tabernacles from, from the end of chapter 7 here. If you remember then at the end of chapter 7, Jesus calls out and he says, all of those who are thirsty, come to me and drink. All those who are thirsty, all those whose, whose souls have a longing, who, who want to be satisfied, who need meaning and, and purpose in life, come to me and drink. I will provide that for you. I will, will quench your thirst. I will quench your longing. I will give you what you need that will satisfy you, that will give you meaning and purpose in life. Jesus calls all of them to himself to drink from him, to drink of the living water. Now, after this brief interlude in the narrative where we're told that, that some people believe that Jesus was the prophet like Moses, some people believe that Jesus was the Christ, some people wanted to arrest Jesus and have him 
killed. After this brief interlude in the narrative, John takes and he, he pans the camera back over to Jesus, who's still standing there in the middle of the temple, one of the largest Jewish gatherings of the year. And Jesus says this in the remainder of verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so it is here in the middle of this festival that Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world. Now at this feast, apart from pouring out the water, there were also these four huge lamps that would be lit in the temple court. And, and afterwards, the, the, this huge celebration would take place after these things were lit. One of the commentators says this, men of piety and good works dance through the night holding burning torches in their hands and singing songs of praises. The Levitical orchestra would cut loose. The light from the temple area shed its glow all over Jerusalem. And so the reason these, these lights were, were lit was to remember how God, in a pillar of light, brought the people out of Egypt in the Exodus, how he would go forth uh, in front of them in the wilderness, shining a light in the desert, how he led them to the promised land. And Jesus is proclaiming that he is that great pillar of light. He is the one who will lead the people out of bondage, out of slavery, and to lead them through the wilderness to the world, to, to this, to, uh, excuse me, lead them out of the wilderness of the world into the promised land into this promised kingdom which Jesus will return back one day with. Notice the second half of the verse 12. He says, whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is released from bondage and slavery for whoever. The light that, that Jesus offers is not something that, that only a few can attain. It is not just for the rich. It is not just for the well-connected. It is not just for the intellectual elites. It is for everyone of every class and every race. It is everyone has access to the light. You see, this is the radical nature of Christianity. Christianity is classless. Christianity is raceless. Christianity is countryless. Christianity is for both Jews and Gentiles alike, for rich and poor, for slave and free. There is no social strata in Christianity. There is no glass ceiling. We are all equal. Whoever would believe that Jesus is the light of the world, the one that leads us out of darkness and into the truth, they would have the light of life there at the end of verse 12. The light that Jesus offers is not just religious enlightenment either. Instead, what Jesus offers here to us is eternal life to all of those who would follow him, which tells us that following the light leads to the eternal promised land. The book of Revelation, which is another book that is, has been written by John, uh, John paints a picture for us of the end times. And in one of John's visions near the end of the book, he sees the eternal kingdom to come. And in Revelation 21, he says, and I saw no temple in the city, and its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will, there will be no night there. 
They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what it is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so we see here, just as the pillar of light led the people in the wilderness into the promised land, Jesus, the light of the world, leads us uh, into the promised future kingdom to come. There Jesus will continue to act as the light. He will continue to illumine the kingdom for all eternity. Now, I came across this article just recently, um, and it highlighted this light bulb. Yes, an entire article was written about a light bulb, um, this light bulb that is actually in fire station number six in Livermore, California. And there's this light that has been there, and it has been burning since 1901. For 119 years, and I just checked just recently, uh, for 119 years, this light bulb has been burning pretty much continuously. Now, as you have imagined, uh, this light bulb has, has gained notoriety over the years. Um, it has gone from being a light bulb that, that, is, that is, you know, shed its light at 60 watts down to, to four watts, but, but it is still burning. And so as you can imagine, this light bulb has, has gained notoriety over the years. There's actually a webcam that you can go to and you can, you can check out this light bulb. It refreshes every 30 seconds so you can see that it is, it is indeed still on. You can go to the fire station there in Livermore, California. You can knock on the door. The fireman will let you in. You can look up and crane your neck up and see this light bulb that is right there in the fire station. You see, these firefighters there, they not only have to be skilled at fighting fires, but they also have to be skilled at giving a, a tour of this light bulb that has been on since for, for 119 years. While it is amazing that this bulb is still on, one day, one day this light bulb is going to go out. There is already a funeral, you know, kind of plans put in place for a funeral when this happens. There is already a place in the museum there in the city where this light bulb will be laid to rest. You know, this is, this is California. Uh, they do things like this. But one day, this light bulb will go out. It is inevitable. It cannot last forever. The light that, that radiates from it is already diminished from, from 60 watts down to 4 watts. And one day, this bulb will quit illuminating the, the tiny little corner that is in, in that fire station. But unlike the bulb in Livermore, there is one light whose radiance will never decrease. There is one light who will never go out, who will never leave us in the darkness. There is one light that will shine forever, and that is the light of Jesus. He is the eternal light that gives life to man, and he will illumine the future kingdom for all eternity. And all those who follow the light like those in the wilderness, will experience eternal life in this future promised kingdom. And that is good news. Jesus is the light of the world. Those who follow him will not walk in darkness. But what about those who don't? What will happen to those who don't follow the light? Well, hearing Jesus claim to be the light of the world, the one who provides eternal life, the Pharisees immediately issue this challenge to Jesus about the trustworthiness of his claims as he is the one who, who is making this claim. And, and, in, and in proving his trustworthiness, 
we discover that Jesus is, is going to go away to the place where the Pharisees cannot go. And then they begin to wonder, well, well where is Jesus going? Why, why can't we come where Jesus is going to go? And in order to answer this question, we need to skip over to verse 21. And so there in verse 21, he says to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. And the Jews, they, they, they think that Jesus is, is going to kill himself. And so he's going to die and they're going to be here and he's going to be there. And so, so they, can't, they can't come where he is going. But, but Jesus begins to, 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 to provide a bit more of an answer here in 23. He says, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so here Jesus is beginning to spread this a little bit more between just life and death. He's saying, look, I am from above, which as you might guess means that, that Jesus is from this heavenly kingdom. And he tells them, look, you guys, you guys are from below, meaning that they are from the earth. And since they are from the earth, they cannot go where Jesus is going. They cannot go to the heavenly kingdom where Jesus is going to go in a few moments or you know, not a few moments, but, you know, in a, in, in a, in a, in a short amount of time as, as the gospel begins to work out and Jesus goes to the cross and dies. And so we need to ask, why is that? Why can't those who are from the earth go where Jesus is going? Well, well all those who are from the earth, who, who are just like you and I, we are, we are born sinners. You know, Adam and Eve, they were placed in the garden. God told them not to rebel. They did rebel. They ate of the fruit. When they ate of the fruit, when they rebelled against God, they wanted to, to be God themselves. They wanted to determine what is right and wrong themselves. They plunged the world into sin. And because of that, we are all affected by sin. We are all corrupted. Everyone is corrupted. The Pharisees are corrupted. We are corrupted. We are all corrupted. And because of our sin, we can't go where Jesus goes. God's kingdom is absolutely, perfectly holy. And those who are unholy sinners cannot go into that kingdom. Instead, Jesus says here, we will die in our sins and then we will face the wrath of God. There's nothing that we can do about this in and of ourselves because we can't make ourselves holy and righteous just like the darkness can't turn itself into light which means that all of those who, who don't follow the light, they will end up dying in their sins. Now that sounds depressing. It sounds hopeless. But it doesn't have to be because, because in the mi middle of, of driving this point home, in the middle of driving the bad news home to the Pharisees, Jesus also offers them and Jesus offers us hope. Right there in the middle of verse 24. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so we see here in, in the middle of this verse, all of those who believe that Jesus is the light of the world, all of those who would believe in Jesus can follow Jesus into this future kingdom. Just like all of those in the wilderness continued to follow Yahweh, continued to follow God into the promised land as he led them in a pillar of light, all of those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior can follow Jesus into this future kingdom. But we must believe. 
We must believe that Jesus is the living water. We must believe that Jesus is the bread of life. We must believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God who has come on a rescue mission to save his people. But how is that? How can we follow Jesus into the eternal kingdom if we are sinners? Well, look at the text starting in verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And so we can follow Jesus into this kingdom because Jesus is the one who is lifted up for us. And when Jesus refers to himself being lifted up, Jesus is referring to himself being crucified on the cross. And it's there on the cross that Jesus acts as our substitute. Now, many of us are familiar with what this word substitute means. In school, we, we all had substitute teachers. And, and for those of you who, who travel quite a bit, you, you've all gone to the, the rental car companies and, and you get there and they say, sir, ma'am, uh, we know that you rented this car, but, but we don't have that car in stock. It, it has been all, it has been rented out. Uh, but we have a car that is like that car and we will substitute that car for you. Now, sometimes, sometimes that, that works out in our favor. Sometimes that doesn't work out in our favor. Uh, when I graduated from college, uh, some of my buddies and I, we, we took a trip down to Costa Rica for two weeks, and, and our parents gave this to us as like, you know, your graduation trip. And, and we, we were going to go down there, and we were going to be surfing for uh, the time that we were there, and we were going to be traveling all over the country on a lot of beaches and things like that. And as we began to plan our route, we saw that, that some of the time we would have to, to cross uh, s- some rivers and things like that. And so uh, there was an option to, to, to get a Land Rover. Uh, we paid a little bit more. But there was this option to get a Land Rover, and we said, you know what? It is worth the extra money. We're going to Costa Rica. We're going to be traveling all over the place. Uh, we need a Land Rover. And so we, we ordered the Land Rover. Well, when we arrived uh, to the rental car company there in Costa Rica, they said, guys, we are sorry. Uh, the Land Rover we know that, that you ordered is, is out. Uh, we don't have any of those in stock at all. Uh, but we have a car that, that is just, you know, a, a substitute for it. It's, it's similar uh, the car that they gave us was a Kia. A Kia and a Land Rover are, are absolutely not the same at all. This Kia did not really do well with us. You know, some, some guys who had just graduated from college uh, taking that around Costa Rica. At one point, the axle on the Kia broke and we had to get another car. They still didn't have the Land Rover in stock. Not that we went and broke the axle just to try to get a Land Rover, but, but they still didn't have the Land Rover in stock. So what that is, they brought us another Kia, the exact same one, the one that we had just broken. They brought us that same model. You see, sometimes substitutes work in our favor. Sometimes they don't, but we all understand what it means for there to be a substitute. A substitute is, is something or someone that stands in for another, and that's what Jesus did for us. He substituted himself for us. When Jesus was, was lifted up on the cross, he hung there on the cross, our sins were, were placed on him and he paid the price for those sins. The Father's wrath was poured out on Jesus on our behalf. Jesus acted as our substitute when he hung there on the cross. And because of that, because Jesus acted as our substitute, because Jesus took the punishment for our sins, 
we are able to follow him into this future kingdom. But in order for us to follow Jesus into the future kingdom, we must believe that Jesus is the light of the world. We must believe that Jesus is our substitute. We must believe that Jesus is the God-sent Savior. Without belief, we can't follow him. And so if we want access to the kingdom, we must believe that Jesus is the light. We must believe he is the one who substituted himself for us, that we can do nothing in and of ourselves to pay the price for our sin, that we cannot make ourselves holy, that there's no amount of works that we can do in order to make ourselves acceptable in God's sight. It is not about our performance, rather it is about Jesus' performance. We must believe that. We must be willing to humble ourselves and say, we can't do it. That there's nothing that we can do, that it is only Jesus and it is only what he has done on our behalf. If we are willing to do that, if we are willing to repent of our sins and turn from from how we are living, this is what repentance means, that we would turn from how we are living, that that we would turn from, from from saying that we are the God of our own life, that we are the one who is going to uh, develop our own truth, that we are the ones who are going to live by our own truth, and we're going to turn from that, and we're going to turn to God and say, we recognize that God's truth is true truth, and we will live according to his truth and his truth only, that he is our king. That, that Jesus is the one who had to die for us because we are unholy sinners. If we are willing to admit that, if we are willing to believe that, then we can follow Jesus, the eternal light, into the promised kingdom. And as you continue in the narrative, we see here, verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believe what he was saying was true. Now, hearing that, hearing that many believe, you would think, man, this is is a cause for celebration. If at the end of today's message, many of you believed in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, certainly we we would celebrate the work that God is doing. We would celebrate your profession of faith. We would be ecstatic with joy. But Jesus here is not jumping up and down with joy. You know, oddly, we have, to, we have to see that that's not what happened. And so we have to ask, what's going on? And we see that, that Jesus continues to press home what it means to be a true disciple. He's like, look, it's great. I'm glad that you guys believe. I mean, certainly Jesus is not, not celebrating. I don't want you to get the picture that Jesus is not celebrating. Certainly Jesus is celebrating. He is celebrating the fact that many people believe. But he's saying, look, great. I am glad that you believe. But let's keep going because, you know, there's more. And what I think Jesus says here next is is important for us, especially in America, especially in the Bible Belt. We push this idea of believe, 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 believe. We press that idea so much that when we go and we talk to people and we, we ask them if they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they'll say, yes, I have done that. I have believed at some point, I, I've, I've walked down an aisle one day, I've signed a card, I've, I've raised my hand. Have you ever been dunked in the baptistry? I have done that in the past. I'm good, right? And the answer is, well, maybe. Because if we continue in the text, we see that belief is not a past activity. Rather, it is a present reality. And so look at verse 31. And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
A couple of years ago, a fire ravaged Santa Rosa, California, and, and Jan and John Pasco, they, they, were, they were at home that night, and their daughter called them, and she said, look, there's this fire, it's about 40 miles away, um, it, it would just make me feel better if you guys would, would leave the house. And so, not wanting their daughter to be anxious and worry about them all night, they agreed, they said, yes, we, we, we will leave the home um, and so the fire's 40 miles away and they say, well, but we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna grab a few of our prized possessions. Now, if there's a fire ravaging your house, you probably should not continue to go back in and grab these prized possessions of yours. But, but when a fire is 40 miles away, that is okay. And so here they are, fire's 40 miles away and they decide we're going to go and we're gonna do that. And so they begin to load their car up with, with just some, some mementos and some keepsakes and anything that they could grab out of the house that would fit in their car. 40 miles away is the fire, a couple hours go by and they realize that the fire is no longer 40 miles away. The fire is like right there on their doorstep. I mean, the world around them is in flames. They jump in their car, they, they, try, to, they try to get out of there, but they couldn't. Uh, they were not able to, they were trapped in their neighborhood. Uh, what, what they described later as a dry hurricane had, had happened where this wind just picked up out of nowhere. And, and that fire that was 40 miles away just quickly spread to where they were at. And they couldn't get out. At this time, they remember that their, that their neighbors have a pool. And this pool had, thankfully, had water in it. But it's October in California. It's, it's 55 degrees outside. The water in the pool is freezing. But by this time, the, the world around them is literally just on in in flames. I mean, they, they have no choice. They're either going to stay on land or they're going to get in this freezing pool and possibly live. And so they decided, well, it's better to freeze than to burn. And so they, they jumped in this pool and they remained in that pool for the next six hours. And remaining in that pool was really the only thing that kept them alive. If they would have gotten out at any point during this time while the fire was around them, they would have certainly died. Their, their shoes that they placed around the, the outside of that pool melted. It got so hot just right around them. The only thing that allowed them to survive, the only thing that saved them was that they stayed in the pool. They abided in that pool. And just as, as the Pascos remained in the pool, persevering through the cold, Jesus tells us that those who are his disciples, they remain, they abide, they persevere in him, continuing believing that, that what he says is true, continuing believing that he is the God-sent Savior, continuing believing that he is their substitute. And all of those who continue in that belief, who abide in Jesus, who remain in Jesus, they end up journeying with Jesus to the future kingdom. You see, belief is not a past activity. Rather, it is a present reality. True disciples of Jesus, they, they continue to believe. And their belief, it, it springs them into action so that, they, so that they continue to follow Jesus. Those who are true disciples, they never stop. They never walk away. They never find a better way. They never find an additional truth. Belief is not a past activity. Rather, it is a present reality. And those who believe and remain in the truth, they are set free. And we have to ask, well, well what are they set free from? Well, look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, sin is slavery. 
We are controlled. We are, we are dominated by it. We can't help it. Apart from popular opinion, freedom does not mean that we are free to do whatever we want. Those who are outside of Christ, they are not free to live how they want to, to live. This is often the, the argument against becoming a Christian. Well, if I become a Christian, then I've got to have all these restrictions of, of the Bible and this ancient book and, and what God has to say. Like, I'm free. I want to live free. I want to be who I am. But apart from popular opinion, no one is free. <clears throat> I'm sure that you've all played the game Simon Says as a child. Uh, you probably don't play it now as an adult, but, but if you're a tri- child, you probably do play that. And when you were a child, you probably did play that game. And I don't know about you, but, but when I was Simon, I would always get people to do something crazy, something silly, something funny, right? Like, you know, try to touch your, your tongue to your nose or, or stand on your head or, or pat yourself on the head and jump on, you know, one foot while rubbing your tummy with the other hand. I mean, something just crazy, wacky stuff that I always try to get people to do. And, and if you got tired of all that crazy, wacky stuff, you could just not do what Simon said, and then you could just go and sit down. You could opt out of the game, Simon says, as you were when you were a kid. But here's the thing. You cannot opt out of what sin says or what Satan says. And that's because they are your master. You are literally controlled by Satan. You are literally controlled by sin if you are not in Christ. No one is free to do what they want. Everyone, whether they would admit it or not, is a slave to something. Everyone is locked in a cosmic game of Simon Says. But those who are Jesus' disciples, those who know the truth, they are set free. Look at, the, look, at the, look at verse 31, starting in the second half there. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Only in Jesus are we truly set free. Not to live how we want, but to live how God wants us to live. To live according to God's original design for us. You see, we were created in the image of God. We are created to be co-laborers with God, with him in the world. He gave us dominion. He gave us the right to rule. He tasked us to work and to keep the land, to make something beautiful out of this world that he has created. But we messed it up. We messed that world up. We didn't want to serve as God's under kings. We wanted to be the king instead. We messed it up. But instead of gaining freedom, we gained slavery. We gained bondage to sin. We did not gain the freedom that we thought that that we would gain. We were tricked. We were deceived by the serpent. We were plunged into sin. We were plunged into Satan as our master, sin as our ruler. But here's the thing, and the good news again is that we can be freed from that bondage if we would believe that Jesus is our Savior and if we would remain in the truth because the truth is what sets us free. The gospel truth is what sets us free, that Jesus is our substitute, that Jesus has taken the wrath of God on himself. You see, true disciples abide in Jesus. And when they abide, they are set free by the truth. And they continue to abide because they are captivated by Jesus. 
They aren't drawn to anything else in this world. They don't seek meaning and significance and and purpose in anything else. They aren't satisfied in anything else except for Jesus. True disciples abide. True disciples know the truth. True disciples abide in Jesus because they are captivated by Jesus. Jesus truly draws them in. What he has done for them, how he has died for them, his sacrifice that he has offered captivates us, captivates those who are true disciples. And as we continue to meditate on that truth, as we continue to reflect on what Jesus has done, we are captivated more and more and more. Our belief gets stronger and stronger and stronger as we are amazed that God would sacrifice himself for us, that God would substitute himself in our place. And knowing that should captivate us. It should draw us in. And as we are drawn in, we know the truth, and the truth sets us free. And so are you abiding in Jesus today? Are you following the light today? Has the truth set you free? And if you aren't following Jesus, let me just say, don't walk in darkness anymore. Don't walk in darkness anymore. Turn to the light. Turn to the true light. Turn to Jesus. Allow him to captivate you. Allow his truth to truly set you free. And that's how we can respond to today's message. If you are a believer, you can respond to the message today by abiding in the truth, by remaining in Jesus, by never seeking truth outside of Jesus, but by recognizing that Jesus is the true truth and by living according to his word. By continuing to believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he substituted himself for you. That's how we can respond as believers today. And and if you would admit today that that you're not a believer, that that Christianity, that you've never really given it a chance, that you've never believed in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, and you can respond today by turning to the, the true light by turning to the truth, by believing the truth that Jesus truly is your substitute, that Jesus truly is the one who sets you free, that that it's not about your truth or, or my truth, but it is about God's truth, and God's truth is the true truth that truly sets us free. You can turn to Jesus today by believing that he is your Lord and your Savior by repenting of your sins, and you can experience true truth. You can experience release from sin and Satan and the bondage that that provides. And you can have freedom in Christ. And so if you don't know the truth, if you don't know Jesus, turn to him today. Recognize that he is your savior. Repent of your sins and believe in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.